Welcome to Ask Canadian Fix. I'm your co-host, Jess Precor, and joined today by guest co-host and president of the World Sick Organization, the Jinder Singh. Thank you so much for joining us. Excited to be here. And we've had you on the podcast before. Jaskaran Singh is also going to be joining us after the break. Uh, but a lot has happened since our last podcast recording. The world has, is a different place than it was the last time you joined us to listen to this podcast. So today we're going to talk about, obviously, COVID-19. We're going to talk about what's happening with sex in Canada. We're going to talk about some really interesting stories, a smoking gun that came out about India interfering in Canadian politics. And then we're going to take a break and have Jaskarn join us to talk about in Afghanistan and all the work that WSO has been doing. So we'll see you after COVID-19 and the response from Canadian six. First of all, the gentleman saying, how are you and your family doing? Uh, doing well. Uh, you know, I think uh, a lot of people are sort of going stir crazy. I think uh, I'm, I think I'm doing okay. The family's doing a lot. Uh, all right. My son is more of like a stay at home kind of, character he's uh, six years old my daughter's eight she's definitely more outgoing and social I think she's having a little bit tougher time with this but uh, all in all we try to just keep remembering uh, you know how grateful we should be considering some of the situations other people in this world are facing absolutely and I think um, just a lot of respect to all the parents out there who are trying to hold it down and have become teachers as well and a lot of respect to the teachers out there who are adapting in the moment and in really creative ways. Um, so I know that speaking of situations that could be very different, um, I finally made it back to Canada, which was a really interesting journey because my family and I got stuck in Punjab and locked down in Punjab during this, the start of this time. We had gone there with um, went the kids march break we left a few days before the kids march break at that time it was an epidemic not yet a pandemic there were no restrictions from my work no instructions for quarantine when you get back um all of that changed actually interestingly while we were in our flight we ended up landing Hello? yeah we landed two news alerts saying it's a pandemic while we were there the first couple days we got a state of emergency in ontario uh, notifications that the kids would not be going back to school <clears throat> after merge break. We got a whole bunch of uh, new instructions from our jobs, and uh, we were there. Uh, Indi- Punjab lockdown first, and then India lockdown, and then they came and branded us because that was the narrative in India was that this is something that's being brought in by foreigners. Like Punjab now, were police. You, yeah. Were you guys in the band or were you guys in the city? which we're so grateful for our home is beautiful and our band is our home and it was like we were surrounded by family but we also like they stamped our forearms everyone in my family to say we were quarantined and they stationed Punjab police at our door for a week and the interesting thing was they did not know that I was a WSO member they did not really know who we were beyond the fact that we were Canadian so we were still safe and that they didn't know our full identities, but it was still quite hectic. And to my understanding, there's still a lot of people who are still stuck there. Yeah, there is. I heard, uh, I heard upwards of 30,000 Canadians are still stuck in India and, uh, uh, and things are getting quite nasty in terms of uh, the anger coming out towards some of our sick MPs. Absolutely. Now, we... okay, go ahead. I was just going to say, so uh, how were the other Bindus uh, with you guys? Like, uh, was there, you know, were... With our friends and family, there was no stigma whatsoever. Um, We did feel a lot of that anger towards the Canadian government. And when we were trying to get it, so our flights got canceled. Our Air India flights back got canceled. It was um, very little notification. Everything kept changing. 
we booked more and more flights. They all kept getting canceled. Even the ones after the lockdown, there was bad communication. The Canadian government finally put together flights that cost, <clears throat> they were saying, quoted us 2,900 per head. They ended up costing us 3,200 per head. So for reference, our original, for the four of us, our flights back were 3,500 total. And and now my parents were coming back with me as well. So you do the math, 3,200 ahead, and there were six of us. And it was um, completely mismanaged, uh, overpriced. And the one company that was given the contract for repatriating Canadians, um, corporate flyers, wasn't able to handle the size of the project. And so they were actually, flights were coming back empty. There's only four flights initially came back empty um, or the second one got delayed. There were Canadians in Goa who corporate flyers never sent anyone to pick them up and they ended up being kicked out of their accommodation and like three o'clock in the morning were asked to walk in the dark and were completely stranded. And we did some wow. digging as to why corporate flyers, a company that wasn't able to handle the repatriation project was given the contract and I'm curious as to, I mean, if someone can shed some light on this, Paul Camria, the uh, CEO of Corporate Flyers, um, he is very, he's very openly close with the Liberal government. He has pictures with Justin Trudeau at you know this party and with this minister, Canadian minister at that party. And um, so I guess my question would be to the Canadian government, and I understand the scope of trying to get Canadians home at this time is very difficult. I'm curious as to why they gave a project to someone who is very openly connected to them, who couldn't handle the project, sacrificed the health and the safety of Canadians, um, and what, what the motivation behind that was. And I also think it's really important to shed some insight into like this is what repatriation looked like for us it was something where all of the costs and most of the logistics were handled by uh, my family themselves yeah that's nineteen thousand two hundred dollars for those of us that don't know <laughs> math but yep. that's that's unreal um yeah and uh, it required i mean if we're being open and honest it required having a literacy, an internet connection, a credit card that had an over $20,000 limit, um, and just all of, most of the, at the time that we were there, 27,000 Canadians were registered, and most of those folks did not have what we had in terms of mobility and ability and education and technology. Um, it required a 40-year relationship with Scotiabank in Canada, who we were calling in the middle of the night while our medications were running out. Um, so definitely not something that my Babaji in the band who was calling us, his whole way of getting out was just to call us and to say, take me with you. Don't leave me here. Oh, that's crazy. And I, and I heard that the, you, it's your responsibility to get to the airport. And if you can't get to the airport, you, it's, it's a non-refundable tickets. Is that true? It's a completely non-refundable ticket. After we handed over our near $20,000, we didn't actually hear from them for three days. And we were calling the consulate and we were calling everyone to say, um, like, what, this is non-refundable. Did we just lose this money? And it couldn't, they wouldn't communicate with us via phone. They would only answer emails. They put my son's name wrong on the ticket. Um, they just every at every step possible, like every way that you could think of, they would send emails saying we weren't able to get people onto these flights. If you can drive yourself to Delhi in three hours and get on this plane, we'll give you the ticket. They were sending people on buses without plane itineraries saying we'll sort out your ticket by the time you get there. So it was uh, quite a haphazard situation. It was scary. I was there with my parents who are seniors and with my kids and yeah, we, we're very, honestly, one of the scariest flights I've ever taken as well. Um, the Air India flight attendants did not interact with us. They <clears throat> handed us a bag of snacks. They were like head to toe hazmat suits. They handed us a bag of snacks. And then they said, um, touch us or talk to us. They separated us from our families. Our toddlers and parents were separated. People did not get to sit with their kids. And I didn't, it was four hours into the flight before I was the plane was taxiing before we were even seated. We were still in the aisles and the plane was moving. No safety demo. Wow. And four hours into the flight before I was able to get up and check on my kids and my parents. Wow, that's insane. Yeah. 
so this is what this is what it looked like to have the uh, Canadian government help us out, and we were were amongst the lucky ones who got home. Yeah, I've been hearing uh, that uh, one of my friends' parents was uh, stuck in India as well too. They they couldn't get uh, the tickets and they weren't hearing back from anyone. So they actually took the the risky move of actually going down to the Delhi airport wow. without any tickets. Uh, but luckily enough, they were actually able to get seats uh, and they were able to come home. Uh, yeah. But it is, I've, I've been hearing nothing but that it's just chaos out there right now. It's very chaotic. We were told that um, the bus driver, that the, the bus would practice social distancing, that the bus driver would have his temperature checked, that there would be two seats per one person. So we, <clears throat> when we got there, we were crammed in. Um, they had double the capacity of the bus. So not only it was supposed to be running at half capacity, we had to call two additional travel tempos. We had to tie our suitcases. It was at the point where I was saying, I don't care about my stuff. I want my children and my parents to come with me, leave our suitcases here. Um, but they crammed us all in there. Uh, the bus, we all got physically injured on the bus. My mom slammed her head. The driver was speeding over speed bumps. Um, my kids all banged up and bruised. There were people throwing up on the bus. Like it was quite um, wow. And, and like just in terms of pandemic, there was no personal protective equipment provided. There was no social distancing whatsoever. We there was no food. We didn't get fed and a hot meal until we came back to our home in Canada. And so we just had packed our bronte from the beginning and uh, we were being attacked by dogs and mosquitoes outside of the Lee airport and everyone, it just became like the Sangat thing. Like everyone shared, oh, you have Bronte and I have Sabji, let's share this. <laughs> it was a mid-flight lunger. It was, it was, oh, we got the bag of snacks. So shout outs to Air India for the bag of snacks they threw on our seats. And then Air Canada was more respectful. So we went, we went Delhi to London and then London to Toronto was Air Canada and they offered a, a plane full of passengers for Punjab turkey wraps. Excellent. Yep. And they said, we have nothing else. <laughs> they said, we're not doing wow. special meals and uh, these are our turkey wraps. Yeah, that's, that's insane. When you guys were in India, so were you guys able to go see places? Were you able to do anything or was, were things first 10 yeah the the first 10 days were amazing the first 10 days of our trip we went to the Rasab twice we went shopping we went and saw friends and family we saw the kids like their we saw their dadke their nankipen like everything um and then it was just that last day and we were actually policy was in india that once the airports were locked down that no flight would be able to arrive with foreign passengers after the 22nd we were before that time. Our departure flight was before, and it was a departure flight. Air India canceled our flight because it would have been a ferry flight, and they wouldn't have been able to bring passengers back. So they kept our money, and they didn't lose the money of bringing an empty plane back. And so it wasn't even because of policy, but because of corporate decisions and, and operating at a loss that they decided to leave us there. Have you reached out to them to try to get that refund? Have we ever? We uh, called every Air India phone number we could find. Nobody answered. We booked through a third-party website, and they are not able to process refunds right now, and they are not able to answer their phones. They won't say where their call centers are, but they've said that our call center employees are not able to make it to the call center right now. We booked on a credit card that had travel insurance, and we haven't been able to get a refund. They're not doing COVID-related um, insurance claims and uh, nothing from Air India, no emails, no refunds, nothing. That's insane. So, yes. <laughs> but we are, we're happy to be home and we are actually really um, impressed with, aside from the Canadian and Indian government response, one of the most beautiful things has been the only thing that didn't let us down in this time were our friends and family. And so the community response has been amazing and I know we have a couple things that we want to highlight in terms of uh, the Sikh Canadian response but what's one thing that's stood out to you in this time? Uh, is exactly that is just how uh, everybody in our community has just stepped up uh, you have the Godware that uh, in cities throughout Canada I, I can speak specifically for the Calgary Godware here 
they created a temporary food bank. Uh, they got a semi-trailer put in front of the Godora, got donations. And, you know, there's a lot of international students that have been struggling um, and so many other foreigners that uh, didn't have any meals. And, uh, you know, this, this food bank became uh, super, super busy uh, within like the first couple of days and it's still running. Uh, they were offering hot lunger and even delivering hot lunger for people that were quarantined. But, you know, the, the Calgary Gold is not alone. This is all throughout Canada, just the, how the community has stepped up. And you have organizations like Casa Aid delivering food uh, to those that are in need. And it doesn't matter if they're sick or if they're non-sick. It's to anybody and everybody. And we're seeing this worldwide. We're seeing this in the UK and the US around the world and uh, it's pretty amazing to see the whole community step up. I agree completely. I think um, leadership and moral leadership and taking action, I've been so impressed. I know that Ontario went into um, a state of emergency while I was in and I watched the WSO team in Ontario work with the Gordoras here. Every day we were getting new guidelines and every day, shout outs to our VP Shanjikor who worked with um, Ontario Costa Darbar to come up with policies in a really, in a situation that's unprecedented where we didn't know to do and what does it, how do you maintain Mariada in a Gordora when you're saying, you know, we can't give out Prashad the way we used to, we can't give out Langar the way we used to and to maintain the integrity of our Gordoras and to be a leader. A lot of the things that happened in the community were done before the experts asked for it, before the uh, provinces asked for it. Um, the canceling of Nagarkeetans, that's huge. That's yeah. not, and for, for us to have seen Sarbatapala in that and not have held on to um, just the things that were important. And I do want to share a little, if you haven't had a chance, for our listeners to look at the hukum issued from the Atalthat. There were some great initiatives. Um, so there are five directives in the time of COVID-19 that were issued from the Atalthat. The first one said, in a, and this is the English translation, in accordance with the guiding principle of Guru Ki Golak Garib Damu, all Sikh organizations and Gurdwara management should come forward and extend help to those who need it. And it says specifically, Gordwaras abroad should use their resources to help international students. Second, to prepare Gordwara Sana to use uh, rooms to use it as quarantine zones. So Gordwaras in India, especially uh, the big Gordwaras have uh, rooms that you can rent if you're like visiting. And all of those rooms are to be converted into quarantine zones to help people. In India, in Punjab, there are a lot of migrant workers from other states that have been left without even buses to get back home. So that is on our Gordoras to take care of everyone. Um, three, they said following guidelines issued by local governments and health departments, postpone all religious functions except for the daily Muriyadar of Gordwara. Every Sikh family should recite Gurbani, pray for the well-being and welfare of others, and observe self-quarantine. So the Akaltakt has asked us to do Ardas for Sarbatapala and to observe self-quarantine. Number five, they said there's no room for superstition or vampirism, and we should put all our faith in a Um, Really beautiful directives, ahead of the curve, showing really good leadership and encouraging us to look at what needs to be done. We've always served humanity. We've always served a higher purpose. And the direction in this time seems to go with philosophy, I think, quite beautifully. 100%. And uh, that directive is really important from the Akaltakt. I remember when uh, when all of these, uh, the public health agencies started putting out some of these directives, um, we started talking to some, we ta started talking to Godaras around Canada and we quickly realized that Godara committees really didn't know what to do. Um, so yeah, as you mentioned, uh, WSO and especially led by uh, Sharanjit Gaur, uh, we created um, documents and started working with committees uh, directly and uh, being able to say uh, work with them in creating uh, guidelines and policies for what they should do um, and things were changing like hourly basically uh, but we went from you know canceling programs uh, to basic basically going to canceling negatives to everything so like this is this is unheard of this is unprecedented but um, I think the community has really stepped up 
uh, and and shown uh, what you know the sarwat tapala and uh, having that one jot in all the matter what background you're from or what faith you belong to is is helping a fellow person in need uh, and uh, it's nice to see that the six around the world have stepped up to the plate absolutely and I know that especially the Calgary community I, I felt y'all love from Punjab there was a special petition the Calgary Sangat had said we will charter a plane to bring our sex back to Canada and the Canadian government obviously wasn't supportive but the love was so strong and the the way our community mobilizes is so beautiful so I got a couple of I'm going to list these off really great initiatives I know WSO if you follow our social media um, on Instagram there was a collage of multiple sick frontline workers have our doctors, our nurses, um, but there's also a lot of the uh, frontline workers we don't typically think of are the heart of the sick community. Truck drivers, Uber drivers, people working in restaurants. Um, we have a whole range of volunteers and people who are working. Please check out our acknowledgement of their work on social media. Um, we know Aid has been delivering food. They've been doing an amazing job. In their core from art is therapy has been offering free therapy sessions because she says that bar- uh, money shouldn't be a barrier getting mental health services at this time Seba food bank is still operating please check them out please donate money see what they need they have a list of items that are going very quickly they have lost a lot of their fundraising like their big gala is not happening anymore and they have gained a lot of clients it's been a really trying time for them Please check out what they're doing. There's, uh, there were shout outs from uh, William Olsler, our health, um, the, the Ontario, like the GTA Brampton health team. They got donations from, I know local Sikh community members who usually do Seva at the Nagarkeetan actually ended up, because they weren't able to do that Seva, ended up using that money to buy coffee and tea and um, complimentary snacks for the staff and physicians, William Osler. Um, any other ones that I'm leaving out? No, I think you got, yeah, of course, out in BC, um, you have uh, organizations like One Voice uh, helping out with international students. But yeah, it, it's everywhere. Uh, it got to the point where even uh, the royal family gave a shout out uh, to Khal Saeed. Uh, Prime Minister uh, Trudeau, he uh, gave a shout out to the Regina Sikh community uh, and to Save a Food Bank in his... Uh, uh, Sikh Heritage Month address on April 1st and so you know politicians everyone's seeing it but you know again we're not Seva's not done so that we can show uh, it, it's done uh, so that we can actually truly help those that are that need it. Sure um, and as you mentioned Sikh Heritage Month is now and it's still happening can't keep the community down uh, so please check out all the various Sikh Heritage Month initiatives I know for Ontario uh, if you are following their Instagram, they're still doing, I mean, pretty much as much work as they would have done if we were able to do this in person. So some really great online offerings. Um, it's, also, it's awesome. Yeah, it's been really uh, you're, great. You're seeing, you. you're seeing all these virtual kitans going on. Yeah. Uh, my sister actually got to do some virtual suckies, uh, yeah. like virtual art craft, like how to make kande and things like that, how to keep your kids busy. But it's... Uh, yeah, it's great to see uh, all this stuff that's happening online. And I also wanted to um, just take a moment, especially to remember Manjeet Singh Rath, who uh, is the from the UK, who's an emergency room consultant, and he's uh, sick, and he passed away after getting a COVID-19 diagnosis. So like every other historical thing that's happened, sex are on the front line and doing what he asks of them doing the right thing and to the point where it is costing them their lives yeah and there's uh, there's a lot of talk of that especially coming out from the uk that uh that uh there's this perception that the the pandemic is hitting the sick community especially hard i remember reading an article where the, the one of the funeral directors was saying that uh I, I don't remember the percentage but the majority of the deaths uh that uh, they they were handling uh, they were due to the uh, COVID-19. Um, and here's, every day we're hearing and seeing a uh, number of uh, people from the UK that have passed away from uh, the pandemic. So it's, it's quite sad. And I, uh, but there is no 
tracking right now uh, from an ethnic perspective uh, to to see if this you know this uh, virus is affecting certain ethnicities more than others. Um, something definitely we hope that uh, the government can start to track here sooner rather than later. Race-based data. The pandemic is highlighting the systems that were already broken in our communities and race-based data is so important because it's one thing to say we know in our hearts that certain communities are disproportionately impacted. It's another thing to actually be able to back that up with numbers. But again, huge thank you and huge shout outs to all of the amazing Canadian six and six all over the world who are helping with the response to this pandemic. For sure. Thank you, everybody. Our next bit of really interesting information is something that came out uh, on April 17th, and the headline reads, Canadian politicians were targets of Indian intelligence overt influence operation. A new document has shown that there was, uh, they don't give the person's names, they use the initials A, B. A.B. was someone who was a editor-in-chief of an unnamed Indian newspaper and was someone who was in Canada and tried to visit um, Indian politicians and relay Indian party lines to them. He had more than 25 visits from Indian intelligence officials for six years and um, all of this has come out in a document that has now been released. As the president of the World Sick Organization, what was your initial response to this? Were you surprised? Not at all. I don't think this is surprising. Um, we've seen this happen in the past, not only in Canada, but in other countries as well, too. Um, with this specific case, the guy saying he's using the excuse that he was uh, being an editor, that he has to meet with the intelligence officials. Uh, but who has to meet 25 times? It's basically every second month they were meeting. Um, and the government of Canada was saying, you know, unless there is good intel or information, intelligence officials don't give you the time of day to keep meeting with individuals. They just don't have that time unless they're getting some good information uh, or good traction, um, you know, that's where they're going to invest their time and resources. And um, it's it's very shady. This is super shady, but it's not the first time in Canada. Uh, in the in the 80s, uh, there was uh, there was another fellow. Um, I believe his name is Malo Krishnathar. He uh, worked at one of the consulate in Canada, and uh, it w this was something that came out where he was uh, feeding information to the Indian officials and they were uh, infiltrating Sikh Godwaras and the media um, and trying to portray the quote unquote Indian side of the story. Um, and yeah, that, that's a well-documented case. Of course, most people also probably are aware of the couple that were charged uh, in Germany uh, just last year um, for being able to uh, providing information to the Indian government. So all of this stuff is is uh, very well known uh, in the community and this is sort of uh, the government's modus operandi. Yeah, and, and in the documents that were obtained by Global News, there are this is verbatim statements that this is what they were saying to him. Um, you stated that you were told to identify random Caucasian politicians and attempt to direct them into supporting issues that impacted India. You stated that guidance from RAW included that you were to provide financial assistance and propaganda materials to politicians in order to exert influence over them. And as you mentioned um, from Dar's memoir, which is called Open Secrets, he and this is he talks about his work in the 80s. There's a person who has openly written and published. So, so just such a lack of consequence that you can go home and write your biography and say, yeah, that's what I was doing in the 80s. My job was to regularly meet Canadian Foreign Office and RCMP people and debrief them um, and tell them what the Indian side of the story was and like just very openly writing that he met with politicians. I find it interesting that in 2020, um, when this newspaper, uh, when this news article was being written, they sought subject matter expert Professor Stephanie Carvin, and her quote in the article is, 
To my mind, this is one of the first public examples of evidence of clandestine foreign influence targeted at Canadian politicians, said the Norman Peterson School of International Affairs expert. And if we are sitting here quoting a memoir of an Indian official from the 80s who himself is showing off how openly and how easily he was sent to manipulate Canadian politicians. And now we have subject matter experts that are saying, what a surprise. We've ne this has never happened in Canada. I think this further highlights why our podcast is important, why the Ask Canadian Six hashtag is important. Um, nobody asked us. I mean, were you, you're the president of the WSO. Were you reached for a quote by Global News? Nope, no, and 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 the sad part is, is the, this dark character. He's he's openly gloating about how he's actually quite successful of infiltrating and and influencing Godot and, and the media back then. And and the, the the thing is, is not only are we not reached out, but we've been raising this issue uh, with the federal government on uh, for many many years. Um, and you know, again, this is just an, yet another case. Uh, but we as a community need to, to do better. We need to make sure that uh, we hold our elected officials accountable uh, and making sure that we don't become puppets. Um, you know, I think far too often uh, a lot of the narrative regarding six is driven by Indian media and the Indian government. Uh, even the whole Sikh extremists uh, or Khalistani extremists, that narrative is just one of... Um, an example of where, you know, the, the Indian government has sort of portrayed anyone that uh, is uh, advocating for a separate state to be this quote unquote extremist or a terrorist. And uh, this is, this is, this is what their modus operandi that's been there for 30, 40 years now. Yeah, absolutely. So this is not new to the, to the community. Um, I think responsible media should show that uh, should come to us our information if we are subject matter experts both read on the subject and also have the lived experience um and i also think politically we need to be a little bit more savvy the world tech organization has time and time and time again told canadian politicians that this is happening and then there's still shock it happens um, so this was sadly this was validating that there was um, a smoking gun saying that this that this was actually happening and this person this all came up when he applied for his Canadian citizenship and he was uh, denied his Canadian citizenship so they recognized one person and not allowed in yeah and, and as you mentioned this is a great example of you know how we need people to uh, ask Canadian six and uh, if you haven't already my one ask is go to worldsick.org scroll all the way on the bottom uh, sign up on our email list. Uh, anytime we send out any press releases or if there's any of these kind of updates, you'll also be in the know-how. Uh, of course, follow us on social media as well too, at WorldSickOrg. Um, so you stay up to date uh, for all the updates that you know WSO, all the initiative WSO is doing and uh, fighting the good fight for our community. Thank you. And thank you for joining us for the first half of the podcast, for taking the time out of your day. And for all the folks that are wondering, everything is happening remotely. So we're way more than six feet apart here in Calgary, over here in Toronto. Uh, thank you for calling in and joining with the recording. And after the break, we'll catch up with Jaskaran Sandhu and talk about six in Afghanistan. Thanks so much for having me. It was, I was, it was my pleasure. Hashtag Save Afghan 6. It's the, the big campaign that's been going around for the last couple of weeks in response to the March 25th attack at Guru Harai and Shor Bazar in Kabul, Afghanistan, where uh, roughly 25 Afghan 6 were killed in an attack by ISIS. And the tragedy is multi-layered because it's, it's not just the attack that that is absolutely heartbreaking. Uh, it's you know, in 2018, the entire Sikh leadership was uh, about 20-odd folks that were killed in a suicide bombing attack by ISIS. Um, you go back even further and you look at the last, you know, decade or so, uh, the Sikh population uh, was at a quarter million and not too far ago, and it's now dwindled down to less than a 1,000. 
Uh, you have a history of Afghan Sikhs trying to flee uh, through very dangerous routes uh, to try to get out and escape. Um, you have just the work that the WSO has been doing with the Manmeet Singh Fuller Foundation over the last five odd years of taking out Afghan Sikhs who needed to flee uh, into India and then from India to Canada, which has been a slow, excruciating process that's still pending uh, for the most, uh, for actually the majority of the folks that had left. It's all in all, like it just, it's just, it's just tragic. It is, and it's so upsetting because it's something we knew would happen. We knew it was coming, uh, and it was just a matter of when, not if. Uh, the, this whole recent attack, uh, and the fact that it happened right in the Gurdwara, right in the heart of the community, uh, it just shows how vulnerable uh, and uh, scary the situation is for our, our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. I think one of the really um things a couple of things that really drove this home uh because wso and when bullet foundation have been working on this portfolio for years and we have brought over families to canada from afghanistan um we knew these people and we know these people and our uh, lawyer Balpi Singh is in touch with them he was sharing their voices with us while it was happening while the cremations were happening and another bomb went off um we know them and they told us if we don't help we will watch them die and these are people whose voices we know whose families we know and it motivates us all that much more and this is also something that um what what i went through with my family in india i had money i had mobility i had a canadian passport um and i came home and it is like 0.2% of what these families are going through and how much it broke my heart to tell my kids that we couldn't go home to the same home these families there is no going home and empathy should never be a prerequisite for serving your fellow six or any of humanity but if you have felt that at all during this time, if you have felt sad because of this pandemic or felt like you're grieving your loss of normal or felt like there is no going back to the world that you knew, please use that to understand for these folks, there really is no going home. And if we don't care, nobody cares about them. And if we don't do something, we will watch them die, which seems like it's sensationalist and it seems like it's over the top, but it's also our truth. And it's just like, we look at the situation at hand right now and, you know, when the, and kind of going back on your point there, just before when uh, this news happened, uh, it, it was so heartbreaking because of just how personal it felt. And, yeah. uh, you know, we, <laughs> You know, we saw those videos, we got those messages, um, and, it, you know, you, you almost feel powerless and you feel guilty almost, right? It's like, you know, we, we've we been trying our hardest to get them over here. And just so people have some context of the initial batch that was taken out of Afghanistan uh, by WSO and Women's Polar Foundation, uh, approximately 15 of those privately sponsored families had arrived in Canada. Uh, there's still 40 odd families still waiting in India to have their files processed. This is this has been years now. Like this is like the government has not expedited this in the way that they have promised. And you know the the, the WSO and Manmeet Singh Bullet Foundation are doing everything in their their power to kind of push this forward as far as also as well as community members and gurdwaras and, and others that have been assisting on this whole processing. And then you have you know that's that's one issue. Uh, then you have the entire other issue where the Afghan six sitting in Afghanistan uh, who had uh, who had been asking us for the last couple of years to try to get the government to do a direct sponsorship, like to allow them to leave because there's no internal uh, displacement um, uh, options. The internal flight options are prospects of uh, integrating in, in neighboring countries is, is slim. Um, India, even even the ones that fled to India, it's it's not easy there, right? And, and no one wants to go there because India is not a signatory to the 1951 Convention on Refugees, so it offers zero supports and resources to those that These come. These folks are not covered by the Citizenship Amendment Act. No, they're, they're not. Yeah, it's it's uh, that only applies to folks before 2014. Um, even then, there's there's multiple problems with the CAA, uh, which is the India Act um, to well, ideally, in theory, was to, to built to support folks like Afghan Six, but it, it actually doesn't apply in this scenario. So you have another uh, a thousand so Afghan Six who are looking for an out, uh, and it's just 
the options that for them are just not viable uh, and they're just not that great. And this is a Canadian problem as far as I'm concerned. Like this has a Canadian mm-hmm. story attached to it. It's it's Canada that's been pushing this. It's been Canadians who are six who have been pushing this. And, you know, Canada or Canadians, we like to pat ourselves in, on the back for being a home for refugees and, you know, in being this, you know, this great country that opens the doors to folks like this. We've dragged our we dragged our feet on this. Yeah. Um, the yeah. government has dragged our feet. No matter, and we were protesting for years. In 2016, Bulpur Singh presented in front of the the, the committees uh, in in Ottawa. You know, there's a recording. There's a brief that's submitted that you can pull out from the government of Canada's uh, websites of WSO submitted on behalf of Afghan Six. We were saying back then that these guys need direct evacuation. Like the internal flight options are what, not. What are, what is the like? What are you asking from the Canadian government? How much would it cost them? And wh- like, how many people are we talking about? Gyan Singh, our, our founder, actually went on Omni uh, TV not that long ago and had this, like, you could just see the passion in his voice. We have the clip on our social media. Just go check it out uh, at WorldSick.org. We have it on Instagram and everything else. It, and you can just see the frustration in Gyan Singh's face because he's like, this is not going to cost the Canadian government. We will literally pay for everything. Like, we're not asking for, all we're asking for is the government bureaucracy, like, processing side. Like, you guys can expedite. We can't control that. We'll pay for everything. There's people in our community who are suggested that we'll pay for the charter flights that need to bring them here. We have people sitting here who are saying we'll cover every single cost for these folks when they get here. The only thing we need the government to do is, uh, the same way they did for Syrians, the same way they've done for Chechnyans, the same way they've done, there's, our history is full of this, the examples. There's tons. To put up a special program to get Afghan six uh, out of Afghanistan or India and into Canada, and to do it immediately, and the Sikh community will cover everything else. We will take care. But we're of not our talking. Ab- we're not talking about like ten thousand people, right? How many people are we talking about? We're literally talking about about a thousand people. Like it's not that hard. It should not be this hard. It definitely to reiterate, we're, talk- we're talking about a, a drop in the bucket in the Canadian population and it will be completely paid for by the community and we will pay for it and we've had families that have signed up to actually house the people. So it would put no extra pressure on the system. And that's just because the community is so generous. Um, it, it, Canadian government has helped paid for it in the past for other communities. Like, like they, they've done that. So even if they did 50-50, like the, but the community is so generous. They're like, we will do everything. We're so frustrated by just the lack of action. We're so frustrated by how much uh, the government has been dragging its feet on this that the community is like, we'll pay for everything. Like, we will literally do everything. We don't need you guys to do anything other than to open up the processing for these folks. Um, and it's frustrating because, you know, we have like 15 to 20 sick MPs. We have uh, multiple ministers. Uh, you have the opposition. So the NDP and the Conservative Party, so the two main opposition parties in Canada, have both come out publicly. And we've talked to both parties. They both have come out publicly and said, we support direct sponsorship of the Afghan Six. This is unprecedented. Mm-hmm. We have the entire Sikh community. I know for a fact because we have MPs who talk to us, that they have received hundreds upon hundreds of emails from Canadian Six asking them to act on this file. An MP office, if they get like five emails about an issue, it's considered a crisis. Right? They've got hundreds upon hundreds of emails in their inbox. They've got phone calls in the midst of the coronavirus situation. Like MPs have told me they have received more emails about Afghan Six at a certain point than they have had done on a coronavirus. So... You have MP offices that are being bombed, bombarded, sorry, not bombed, bombarded <laughs> by, uh, you know, obviously I'm, you know, the topic I'm talking about, so that's the language on top of my mind, but they've been bombarded by uh, uh, emails from their constituents. You have the oppositions in alignment, so it takes zero political capital to push this through, zero. Yeah. You have the community taking the expenses, so it's costing you almost nothing to pull this off. And we're reasonable people. We understand coronavirus is a big issue. We understand the logistics are an issue. Uh, just before you shared your story getting out of Punjab. Okay. We're looking for a commitment. Come to the table. Sit down. Let's put a commitment together. Let's get a special program together. So when we're on the other side of this thing, the logistics are not going to be shut down for the rest of humanity. Once we're on the other side of this thing, we bring these people to safety and bring them to home. And this, we have been like. a Canadian angle. 
I've been referring to this as triaging the month. So Balpur Singh and I were both in Punjab while this happened, and we were both working on getting our families out. Um, and our first priority was getting the Afghan sex out. So we were mobilizing all of our advocacy and all of our community from Punjab. Um, it's not lost on us that this is more important than our own safety. We will be okay and what we went through was challenging. We need to work for these folks. And also to add to the fact that this is free for the Canadian government and the and it's a small amount of people and there's no extra burden on the system. Um, on top of that, this is a huge win. Um, and it would be such a great, um, when the first families arrived uh, from Afghanistan, um, Minister of Defense Harjit Sajjan went to the airport to receive them. And it, it, we are handing um, the politicians a photo op and we are handing them a win that will then help them when they, again, will definitely need the Sikh community to win their seats again. Um, the Minister of Innovation shared the article with uh, Minister of Defense receiving the refugees at the airport. So they are, uh, we know that they support in touting the accomplishments because they are wins and it's such an easy win. Um, what do you think the resistance is? Do you think it's just the logistics of trying to deal with all of this in the time of coronavirus or is there something else? I've heard so many different things. I don't know what's true anymore and what's not. Um, you know, there's always chatter and rumors from, you know, certain senior ministers saying, you know, if we help the Afghan six, it just seems like we're partial to our own community. I've heard things like uh, if if we help the Afghan six, um, you know, that's just it like, doesn't make sense right now. You know, they can go to India and they'll be safe there. Um, we we've heard things like, oh, you know, they're safe in Kabul. The government has beefed up security now. Like you hear so many crazy things. Like I don't even know what to th believe anymore. Or not about to believe, but like I'm just so frustrated by all of it. It's just like you, we're not coming up with solutions. We're coming up with excuses. Uh, and at a certain point, it's let's take the leadership role and figure this out. You have the community by your side. You have everyone here working hard for you. Do, but I'll, I'll mention this: there's MPs that are actually very sympathetic and are actually trying to work hard. Yes. And they're they're like. And, and MPs that, you know, maybe people would not expect to take strong positions on stuff like Gagin Sakant, for example, Mississauga Streetsville has been, you know, pretty open to having conversations about this and open to hear solutions, open to ideas. Ruby Sahura from Brampton North, um, again, making calls, trying to get a better understanding of the situation. Okay, how do we find solutions? What can we figure out here? So it's not like uh, this wholesale, like the party just saying, no, we're not doing anything, the Liberal okay. Party government. Um, it's just there's a frustration that like, OK, well, who is making the executive decision on getting this thing done right now? Because it doesn't make sense to us why this is being dragged out so hard. Um, and people, uh, you know, another convenient excuse is obviously that this is coronavirus. It's coronavirus. It's COVID-19. Can't do anything. And my response to that is, you can maybe at this specific time, yes, this is five plus years in the making. Like this is looking five for a commitment. Yeah. We've been saying this for five years. This is not something that just popped up two weeks ago. Uh, yes, the the catalyst for the, the the new community response is strictly obviously based upon what we're facing right now. But this is this is years in the making. This is years of looking for solutions. And I, I don't know. I get so frustrated when I talk about this. This is literally the saddest I've been on anything we've ever worked on. And you know, I've been with the organization for eight years now. And nothing has gets me more upset than this, especially now, because when you saw those images of those dead bodies on the floor of a Gurdwara, those were friends. Like those were people that have been talking to us regularly, looking for hope. Um, and again, Canada pats itself on the back all the time on this. Like when Justin Trudeau, uh, the prime minister, spoke in 2015 uh, about the Syrians, uh, he said, this is not about doing the, like, this is this is about us doing just what's right. And it's, it's doing what we know we can do. We can do this. So let's just do it. Um, you can't pick and choose when to apply that principle. Like, if that's the values you're living by as a government or as a leaders, then you have to implement that every time. And we have a situation where you have the political capital pull it off. So why are you not doing it? Um Okay, and I'll give you an example of how like how this is this is so important to six in our in the, the Canada is when the when the bombing happened. I'll be very frank and very open. Uh, and for those of us who you know follow on Twitter, follow WSO, or follow a bunch of us on Twitter, you you would have seen this evolution happen in the 12 hours. When the initial bombing happened, it was you know immediate official response. 
uh, internally the conversation was, and I'm pulling the curtains here a bit, internally the conversations were, okay, we'll send an official letter to the ministry, we'll try to get a meeting with the ministry, we'll send some, uh, we'll send a brief around to MPs, we'll equip them with what they need to do to be good advocates on this issue, uh, we'll talk to our people on the ground in Afghanistan, talk to our people on the ground in India, talk to our people on the ground in the UK and everywhere else, and we'll start coordinating this. But a full-blown public campaign probably doesn't make sense in um, in the midst of coronavirus. Like it's, you know, maybe maybe you know, maybe it won't connect with people. Maybe people won't really take part um, because you got to remember, March 25th, coronavirus was like front and center. Like this was like when a lot of the big decisions are happening quickly. Like now we've kind of hit more of a uh, a maintenance uh, phase of the coronavirus response from government. Like March 25th ish, it was boom, boom, boom. Like things were coming out nonstop every hour. Like a 10-hour span, the amount of feedback we got back from the community, I had never seen in the last eight years. And I think this is testament to just the WSO running very successful camp advocacy campaigns in the last, yeah. you know, uh, 24 to uh, 36 months. Um, we're like, hey, are we not doing a public campaign? Like, hey, we want to write letters to MPs. Can you equip us with, like, what we need to say? Because we, we have a vague idea of the situation, but we need details. Like, hey, who do we email? Like, hey. What's the WSO like? What's going on? Where are the folks now? Like, is everyone here? Because I remember we remember all these pictures and this press conference kind of stuff happening. But did everyone come from India? Or are they still stuck there? How are these 800? So like a ton of feedback was sent back to us without us like kind of like signaling that we we're going to do something about where's the campaign from the WSO? Like, where's the campaign from the public? Where's the advocacy campaign? Like this requires more than just a diplomatic backdoor kind of channeling of like, here's a letter, here's this, here's this, okay, let's have conversations. The campaign I, kicked off because of that, right? Like the yeah. whole uh, hashtag save Afghan six. It's like, yeah, yes, it's being coordinated and quarterbacked by the WSO just because we have the capacity to do it and we have the know-how to do it. But I'll be really frank, like this was organic. This is super organic. And it was something that the community requested to get done. Um, and I think it just tested to how much people care about this issue is that they're looking for leadership and guidance on this because they want something done. I think for, for me, like I was watching the whole thing unfold. Um, we were all connected, thank goodness, because of technology. So even though some of our players were on the ground in Punjab and some folks were here, um, I remember Bobby Singh sharing their messages, their voice notes, their communications with all of us. And um, just I, a lot of us have not lived to personally witness um, like we know stories of the month and we maybe we were young when all of these things were happening. But this was the first time that I had seen bodies of people we knew and, and heard voices and heard uh, wailing that you won't forget. Um, and and to have Bobby Singh say that they're going to die if we don't do anything, they're going to die. And to see our team kick into overdrive, and it's not an exaggeration to say we were working day and night because um, because we were in different time zones when some people were sleeping, other people were awake and working on this. And I don't think Discarn um, sleeps ever. <laughs> So I think I felt like you were awake the whole time working on this. Um, but one really important thing did come out of this. And a lot of people came back to me over and over again with this question of money. Because uh, WSO was very specific about where to send money and why uh, fundraising doesn't work the same way. This is our the beautiful thing about our community is we will throw everything we have at people that we want to help. And everyone wants to give money. So what was... The WSO's response to the ask, uh, where people say, where do we send the money? And why is this such a unique situation money-wise? Uh, so, uh, the community um, reached out pretty aggressively, uh, especially in the, the first week or two when emotions were very high, about how do we send money to Afghan Sikhs in Afghanistan? Like, how do we send the money to them? Um, and... We, we had to be very frank with people. Like it would have been very easy for us to set up a GoFundMe page or to set up a, a fundraising call saying, give us money. You know, we have to protect our Afghan six. We, we, we have to uh, give money to the victims and their families. You know, please donate to us and, and set up a GoFundMe page on, on using that kind of language. But that would been, that would not been honest on our part. It, it, it wouldn't be necessarily true because Sending money to Afghanistan is very difficult in the best of times. Um, you know, raising money uh, on those grounds 
would just be dishonest because we wouldn't actually be able to get the money there quick enough. We wouldn't be able to get it there in the full amount. It would just be way too logistically difficult. So that's one issue, like just the logistics of it. Um, the second issue is if, if you know, ISIS and these guys uh, figure out that the community is sending hundreds of thousands of dollars, or at least the, uh, the presentation of the community sending hundred thousand dollars, you're opening the community up to a lot more, you're opening up a vulnerable community up to even even more danger because you yeah. have tapping, you have ransoms, you have a lot of other issues that kick in right away. Um, the third issue is the Afghan Sikh community themselves said, we do not need you guys to send us money. We need you guys Shoot to- Shoot a letter. You, we need you guys to get us out. Um, and, and the best way to do that is emails to MPs, direct contact with your members of parliament. It's not petitions. It's not anything. And I'm being very frank here. It's not petitions. It's not anything else. As someone who does advocacy campaigns for a living, if you want to get action, it sounds simple, but it's true. Contact your MPs. So that's where efforts are directed to. Now, if you wanted to raise money to assist us in our advocacy efforts, donate to us. If you want to donate money to Manmeet Singh Bullet Foundation to assist the Afghan Sikhs that are in India waiting a processing, by all means, go ahead and donate. And people have been, and it's been amazing. But if you're raising money or if you're trying to send money uh, with the thinking of that we're going to support Afghan Sikhs in Afghanistan, I'm sorry, it's just not going to happen that way. It just doesn't. Um, and we were very clear about that. And then um, a bunch of you know organizations and others have put up GoFundMe pages, Facebook ads, uh, campaigns on those grounds of like, we'll give money directly to the Afghan Sikhs in Afghanistan. And it was a very emotional plea for in a community that was a very emotional at the time. That uh, Guru Nanak Dabar South Hall, which is the main Afghan Sikh Kortora, and it's kind of like the center point of the Afghan Sikh community for the world. Kind of like how Brampton is the center point of the diasporic uh, Sikh community, or, or I like to tell myself. Um, <laughs> Afghan Sikhs look to this Gurdwara as like for leadership, especially in the diaspora. And it's actually uh, where many Afghan Sikh refugees uh, migrate towards, uh, at least the ones that you know, went to UK. And they put out a letter saying, guys, there's a lot of folks saying they're raising money to help Afghan Sikhs in Afghanistan. Um, that's just not true. Afghan Sikhs are not asking for this right now. We, would, we ask that everyone kind of hold off, like don't, don't donate money on these grounds because there's much more logistics that have to happen before we can honestly say that that's what's going to happen. Um, and then there was a one UK based organization called city six, which was raising money at the time. And, and they put out uh, a tweet saying in light of the Guru Nanak Dabar's letter, um, we're just going to give our money to Guru Nanak Dabar and let them take care of it. And my understanding is Guru Nanak Dabar has now set up their own page to kind of collect money to try to assist their families back home. Um, and so like, I think it's it's just one of those things. I, I think our community, you know, has big hearts and they open their pocketbooks and they they give their blood and sweat to causes. Uh, but on the money thing, especially when it's like, you know, it's the bunts money and it's going towards community stuff, and it really irks me uh, when yeah. when uh, they're misled or misinformed on on certain issues around this stuff. That as a community, we should ask questions of folks who raise money on these grounds, especially charities. Um, we should be asking for audited statements. We should be asking for, okay, you've raised $150,000. Uh, let's audit how much money you raised. Let's audit how it's being spent. And by auditing, I mean, you get proper third-party auditors to do it. You, you get the, you know, you get the big uh, accounting firms to do it and they all have processes for this. Uh, you and know, you can, I mean, like th there's a, if you follow at save Afghan six on Twitter, they do have a breakdown of how much the community has actually gotten. Um, so you can see for yourself what money is going there. But um, to reiterate, there it's very difficult to get money into Afghanistan. It sometimes gets flagged for terror financing. Um, it, it, there is no uh, central way of distributing the money. It is very, very difficult to even get funds transferred into such a volatile zone. The, commun the community there themselves has said that they don't need it. And there isn't any, it seems like there isn't any accountability um, for the organizations that are collecting, um, saying that it's going to go there. The WSO has worked with the Manmeet Bullock Foundation. We know and are transparent about our finances. Uh, come out to like our June dinners. We'll share the whole boring presentation with you. Um, and Manmeet Bullock Foundation is very clear about what they're going to do with their money. Um, the, the biggest thing that we need right now 
doesn't cost the Canadian government anything. We need them to expedite those um, files. And in order to do that, we need influence, we need pressure, we need power. And the money part, if I'm understanding correctly, that ask will come someday when we need to process these files. Yeah, and like it, it will be. And, and I'm only, we're only spending so much time talking about this because it, the amount of emails and messages and requests we get for more information or for clarity and examples were given of like, you know, there's, there's, there was quite a few GoFundMe pages. There was one where like these two, these kids were doing the gratitude uh, crew or something like that, which is very cute. And they were raising money for the Money Reaching Fuller Foundation. You know, I got a lot of messages from folks like, is it guys, is this legit? Like, is this money actually going to go for money? And like, I was like, yeah, it is, right? Like these, these kids are actually just doing for the goodness of their heart. And it's, and it's like really good of them and you should support them. Um, uh, that there's multiple pages out there trying to raise money on this stuff. And it was just like, guys, let's, let's have some, let's a, let's slow down on the whole, you know, getting money directly to Afghanistan. That, that's going to take a lot more time and coordination and actually needs the dust to settle here a little bit before we do anything like that. Um, and you know, the, the ask for money will come, especially if we have to start processing uh, these folks directly to Canada, like there's going to be a lot of monetary needs for that. Uh, and so let's be uh, smart about how we're spending the money and, and align it with, not only the ask of organizations like ours, but with the folks on the ground in Afghanistan who are saying, like, we just want out, like, help us get out. But we don't need to send money for us here. We're, that's not the issue. Um, and, yeah. Um, I was just going to say that, like, before we and we really only had time for the two segments today, coronavirus update and sick Afghanistan update. But like any final comments? And then I'm just going to uh, touch on Bill 21 before we. Sign yeah, it. yeah. Like, um. Uh, where are we right now? Uh, at the time of this recording, we've actually had a preliminary meeting with the ministries uh, and relevant staff uh, in the government of Canada. Um, it's been flagged for them. And we'll, we're going to be going through this process. Should we be having more follow-up meetings as well and, and trying to find a solution here that works. Um, and hopefully we can connect the dots here. I know there's a lot of frustration in the community and uh, there's a lot of personal frustration. And uh, communities are expecting answers and you know enough is enough is something that's said often and uh, when we're talking about this topic uh, because people just want action they want results um, and we have a we have MPs that are working hard we have folks that are making a lot of internal noise um, but it makes their lives easier if we provide them the 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 capital to actually go inside the government and say look this is a serious issue in our community and the only way to do that is sending emails, sending emails, sending emails, sending letters, making phone calls, reaching out directly if you have personal relationships and letting them know it's a serious issue. Um, and you got to keep it going. At the end of the day, I, the community has been pretty persistent for the last two odd, two three weeks. You just keep it going until we get the answers we need. We, we got to keep putting the pressure on. Since y'all are working from home, most of you, um, I know you have that extra time to do this. So yeah, keep the pressure on. Absolutely. Um, and just so uh, just while we're talking about this, and I think I mentioned this before, one of the um, we're, tr we're triaging the bond. That's how I keep thinking about it. Right. We got to get sex out of Afghanistan. We got to get our parents out of India. Um, and a lot of the social justice efforts that we have in place are just being stayed. A lot of legal processes are being stayed and um, we're not gonna get any movement on this until things get back to normal because the first priority is let's just keep everyone alive. Let's just shut down anything that needs to be shut down. And so like a 30 second update on Bill 21. Mm -hmm. um, Bill 21 is the, um, for folks who can think way back when to WSO efforts, uh, Quebec, a province in Canada, had said that folks that have um, basically wear their religion on their body, have overt symbols of religion, can't work in public roles. And there have been legal challenges to that. And there was an update a couple days ago that um, in Canada, the Supreme Court has said that um, it is not going to suspend the secularism law while the legal challenge is going on. So there was an ask that while we put forward legal, and there's a few legal challenges going on. One was this, this is sexist, it violates the charter. Um, the ask was that, can you just cancel this law while we're going through the legal process of challenging it? And as of April 9th, the Supreme Court has said that it won't hear the bid to suspend the law while the case is still before the courts and they're still listening to all the legal challenges, but the law is going to continue to be law while that happens. I think this kind of goes back to that example of, um, 
we're in the midst of a situation where uh, coronavirus is obviously taking all the oxygen in the room and it's making it, uh, uh, you know, we may tend to forget about other advocacy issues that are happening, uh, whether that's the Afghan sick issue or, or Bill 21, which was a campaign we aggressively ran in the community beforehand as well, trying to get the government to take, uh, the federal government to take more action in fighting it. Um, that battle still, the battle still continues uh, and it's going to continue for a while here. And, uh, you know, it just, if you have bandwidth, uh, you know, keep your eyes open for this kind of stuff as well and, and the updates that come out. And obviously uh, over at the WSO, we will continue to push and advocate on these issues. That is your April episode of hashtag Ask Canadian Six, the podcast. Uh, it is a great honor to be able to uh, share with you updates on, uh, well, in this case, coronavirus and the Afghan Six, uh, the campaign. Uh, there's always a lot happening in the community. You can hit us up on uh, Twitter or Instagram, Facebook, at WorldSickOrg is our handle for everything. A podcast is available on every major platform from Apple, Google, SoundCloud, uh, you, know, you name it. This podcast is available. Uh, make sure to subscribe, uh, share it. Uh, you leave us a review. Like, that's always helpful. I don't think we've ever asked you guys to do that. Um, and also donations, you know, we can only operate with your support. Everything is 99% of what we do is done by volunteers. Um, it's, it's the punt coming together, the community coming together to run the programming we do or running the, uh, the different institutions that we run. Um, it, that only happens with your support financially, to be honest. Uh, so if you have it in your hearts, you know, feel free to give us a, a small donation or a large one, whatever you want to do monthly, one time, it's all on our website, uh, worldsick.org. Uh, and I think that's it, just record. I think that's that's, that's it. it I mean, this was a very, very different flavor from the last podcast. Uh, the the world fell apart. And <laughs> uh, let's hope that the next time we meet, we'll have a completely different flavor as well. And we'll be on the mend and on the other side of the curve. And we'll have a lot of good news to share. We're always in Charticola, right? Always, always. It doesn't matter so, what direction the curve is in. We're, we're going up. It doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, we'll keep working hard. Uh, thank you again for joining us. Vahe Guru Jika Khalsa. Vahe Guru Jika Khalsa.